when you look at what's happening here, verse 1 of chapter 13 tells you, uh, as we have seen with the book of Judges throughout up until this point, that there's a cycle. Okay, there's a cycle of behavior and a cycle that God told them would, would happen if they did this, a cycle that's very evident in uh, the book of Judges and what's happening with Israel's life. And we see that. Number one, they turn away from the Lord. They go chasing after what, folks? The foreign gods. God gets upset with them because they break his covenant. He brings an oppressor who oppresses them for not just two weeks, but for years. They then cry out to the Lord. The Lord obviously rebukes them. They turn away from their idols. God raises up a what? A deliverer. Okay? But it's a continual cycle. And so we see the cycle. We're going to see that, first of all, in verse 1. So once again, it says that Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, by this point, you are probably realizing, it, I mean, it simply says they did evil in the sight of the Lord. By this point in reading Judges, you can already fill in the equation of what that means. They chased after the Canaanite gods, that is probably Baal, Asheroth. They were chasing after the gods of the nations around them. Okay? Now we're going to be introduced to a new type of people they've been mentioned before, and it's the Philistines. Okay? They probably are chasing after the Philistine god. Now, the Philistines are not Canaanite people. Just so you understand, the Philistines are not originally from Canaanite. They believe that the Philistines actually came from Greece and migrated down through the centuries down to, to Israel. They're, they're a seafaring people. In fact, where they inhabit is what we know of today as the Gaza area, which is bordering the Mediterranean Sea, okay? So these are seafaring people, and their god is called Dagon, D-A-G-O-N, okay? So this is not a Canaanite people, but God raises up an oppressor, and we're going to see that they are a thorn in the side of Israel up until the time of, of David, okay? Up until the time of David, when he and his kingdom, and they basically defeat the Philistines, okay? So, once again, Israel did did evil in the sight of the Lord. And in his anger, the Lord gave Israel over to oppression by the Philistines for 40 years. 40 years. Now, I want you to think about that. At this time, that's basically a generation. Do you, do you realize that? 40 years is a generation. So this is a so for a whole generation they're being oppressed. Okay? They're being oppressed. So then we come to the issue of Samson. Okay? So Samson verse 2 of chapter 13 through chapter 16 verse 31 focuses completely on Samson. Okay? And you'll know the stories from Sunday school and so forth, but we're going to see some other things about Samson as we go through the text. Okay? So, in chapter 2, verse 13, the angel of the Lord appears to a woman who is the wife of a guy uh, by the name of Manoah. So, the Lord, angel of the Lord appears to this 
barren woman. So she's an elderly, barren woman. All right? And tells her that she's going to bear a son. So the angel of the Lord appears. Now, as we're going to notice, when he appears, they don't know that he's the angel of the Lord. So he's not showing up like we see sometimes with big wings and, and a big aura, you know, and whatever. No, no, they think he's just a person. All right, so the angel of the Lord shows up. Now, I gave you a note there to kind of explain who the angel of the Lord is. Now, our perception, our understanding as we read this, because they make some statements in the passage that kind of reflect who the angel of the Lord is, we, we very much believe here at our church that uh, it is the pre-incarnate Christ. Now, what do you mean pre-incarnate? Well, the incarnation is when he was born and given of Mary, and became fully human as well as fully God. So this is the pre-incarnate appearance of the second person of the Trinity. Okay? The second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. All right? So, uh, the angel of the Lord tells her that the child shall be a Nazarite from birth and a deliverer for Israel. In fact, he tells her um, don't drink any, don't drink any wine. Now, I, I just need to help you to understand, when we talk about wine in their age, while there may be an, an element of alcohol in it, because there always is, fermentation takes place, this is not like, uh, the white wine or the red wine you buy at the ABC store here. Did you understand at the alcohol store? Alright? But it ain't grape juice either, so don't think Welch's. Okay, uh, that Welch's didn't produce his wine until the 1800s in the U.S. Okay, so don't think that. But they drank wine because you don't drink the water. Why would you not drink the water? Anybody got a clue why you would not drink the water? Yeah, parasites. It's it, and plus they drink from cisterns, and you know they gather their water. They drink it from cisterns rather than fresh water. So water's not necessarily something you would drink. So he's telling her it needs to be a Nazarite from birth, and because of that, don't drink any wine. Now what does that mean, a Nazarite from birth? Well, it means three things. I gave you a note there about a Nazarite. The Nazarite is either a lifelong vow or a short vow. Paul did sometimes the Nazarite vow. Basically, you abstain from anything of the fruit of the vine, you can't touch dead bodies, and you can't cut your hair, okay? You can't cut your hair. So, just so you're aware of that. So, that's what we see happening here with Samson. So, the angel of the Lord tells her that. Now, I want you to notice something. When you read the passage, I think this is interesting. The passage names Samson's father, Manoah. But when you read the passage, I was struck by this, you don't know who his mother is. It just says the woman. Or his wife. It doesn't name Samson's mother. I think that's interesting, isn't it? That's just kind of reflective of that culture. Do you understand what I'm saying? Just reflective of a patriarchal culture. Alright? Just reflective of a patriarchal culture. Now, she told her husband, Manoah, about the words of the man 
and he prayed to see the man. So the angel of the Lord leaves her. She goes, finds her husband, says, hey, this guy showed up, says I'm going to have a baby, and uh, it's going to be a boy, he's going to be a deliverer, and he's going to be a Nazarite from birth. Now remember, she's barren. She's old. Would that be amazing news? Yeah, it would be, okay? And so Manoah's thinking, I want to see this guy. So he prays to see this guy because he wants to hear it from him rather than from his wife, okay? So the angel of the Lord reiterated, shows up, reiterates his words to Manoah, who then made an offering to the Lord. And, and if you read the text, it's like this. He prays, the, guy, the angel of the Lord shows up. The angel of the Lord tells him the same thing. Your wife's going to have a child. It's going to be a Nazarite from birth. She can't have any, any wine until then. No, nothing from the grape. And so Manoah does the hospitality thing. Well, can I fix you a meal? And the angel of the Lord says, no, make a sacrifice to the Lord. Which means a burnt offering. Okay? I don't want anything but make a sacrifice to the Lord. A burnt offering. Now, I want you to realize, again, up until this point, they don't know who he is. They don't know who Manoah, Manoah doesn't know that this is the angel of the Lord, okay? So they may, he builds an altar, makes an offering, and as the fire is consuming whatever they're offering, okay? As the fire is consuming, the angel of the Lord then ascended in the flame of the offering, and they knew that they had seen God. Now, yeah, you would figure that out real quick, wouldn't you? Got this offering that's burning a sacrifice, and the guy you're talking to kind of just floats up in the air on the flames. Wouldn't you think that's a little odd, or does that happen all the time here in Clearfield County? No, it doesn't happen. You'd be like, whoa! Then you realize... It dawns on them, oh my goodness, we've seen God. Now this is why we know it's the pre-incarnate Christ. Because they didn't say we've seen an angel. Right? Did you notice that? The text doesn't say we've seen an angel. Angels were very much a part of their understanding. They, exist. they realized they've seen God. And notice their reaction. I didn't put this in your notes, but if you don't read the passage, what are they afraid of? Yeah, they're, they're going to die. Now, let me just, uh, can I explain something to you? Every once in a while you hear, hear somebody, uh, somebody talking about, we know I was shaving today and the Lord showed up and talked to me. Well, did you fall on your face? No, I kept shaving. Really? Because every time somebody sees God in the Bible, they freak out and think they're going to die. Why? Because we're sinful, right? If the Holy God showed up here right now, folks, what's the first thing you would be overwhelmed by? Well, you'd be overwhelmed by his presence, but what would you be overwhelmed about yourself? Yeah, your own sin. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? You would be shamed. You, every one of us, I, I would, and I'm saying that, every single one of us in here, if Jesus showed up, would be overwhelmed. We wouldn't be like, I can't believe he's standing in front of the Lord. No, no, we'd be like, I can't believe I'm standing in front of the Lord. You know what I'm saying? Because you would be overwhelmed by shame. So they immediately, they're like, they've seen God and they think they're going to die. 
So the woman bore a son whom they named Samson. Okay? She bore a son whom they named Samson, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Now remember, I told you, during this time period, not every believer had the Spirit of God. And when the Spirit of God would show up, he would only show up on them for a period of time. Okay? Would show up on them for a period of time for a purpose. Okay? For a purpose. And in the book of Judges, we see that the Spirit of God shows up on them to enable them to what? Deliver Israel. Okay? To deliver Israel. So we see the angel of the Lord ascended. Woman then goes on a few months later, nine months later, obviously, and she bears a son. They call him Samson. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon them. Now, that's chapter 13. You come to chapter 14, and you have the story about the Philistine woman. Okay? The Philistine woman, which I'm going to be honest with you, we're going to see a tendency here with Samson. But you're also going to see some things that we don't talk about very often, but it's in the text, and it should cause you to hmm, ponder for a moment. Okay? Ponder for a moment. So when you come to chapter 14... Samson saw a woman among the Philistines, and he told his family to get her as his wife. Now, we have in our culture something called what? Dating. Okay? So, for instance, everybody here, if you've been married or if you have a sweetie of some type, you, you know, you spy out the person of the opposite sex that you're interested in. Whose job is it to get a, well, we would call it a date with them. Whose job is that? Your mama and daddy's? Some of you are like, I wouldn't dare tell my mama and daddy. Right? They're the last person I would tell. You, you know what I'm saying? But in our culture, we would, it's up to you to get a date with them. That's not the way that it was back then. They had formalities and how they handle things. And so he sees her and he tells his parents, because honestly, they're the ones who make the arrangements. And it's not dating. He wants his parents to make the arrangements so that she would become his wife. Okay? He wants his parents to make the arrangements so that this woman that he sees among the Philistines, so she's a Philistine woman, would become his wife. Okay? Would become his wife. Now, his parents objected. So let me just stop for a moment. It only makes sense, right? They're not to intermingle among the nations, right? They're supposed to, what? Be only marrying Jews. Israelites. So this is a natural reaction from the parents. No, 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 Samson, you can't do this. We, we know somebody of a, of, and it's usually you somebody in a distant family. Oh, you know, cousin Bill's, you know, whatever, friend has a, has a girl over here, you know. Yeah, but they objected. Now, the interesting thing I found when you read the text is, but Samson prevailed since God was using it to start a deliverance. You know, Samson prevailed, so we often will hear preachers talking about, well, he was just a bully with his parents. Yeah, but if you read the text, 
The whole reason why that happened is because God was using it to start the deliverance. That just blew me away. All right, so let's talk about this for a moment, okay? Was Samson being a bully with his parents? Well, it said he prevailed on them. Yeah, he, he's wanting his way, okay? That doesn't reflect well on Samson, does it? Okay, we would all agree with that, right? But the one that blows us away is that you've got to stop for a moment. God's using that. Now, doesn't that raise questions in your mind? It should. Does any, Bruce is nodding his head. He's understand what I'm asking. How many of you understand what I'm asking? Yeah, to bring about something. What does that tell you about the Lord? Do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? We have this concept that God uses perfect people who do perfect things, right? But here we go. We have a guy who's been told don't marry. I mean, it's in the law. It's in the covenant. Don't intermingle with the other nations, right? Would everybody agree that's in the Mosaic law? We went through that. Everybody agree. So they're not, so, in fact, remember, when they were intermingling, God killed them. All right, so everybody knows that, right? So he's prevailing upon his parents. You're like, what's up with this guy? But then it says, yeah, but God allowed that to happen because he was going to bring a deliverance. What does that tell you? You know, my favorite psalm is Psalm 37. Okay? Psalm 37 is an awesome psalm for you to read. Okay? If you go to verse 23 and 24, it says this, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in them. Though he yet stumble, he will not utterly be cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I like to tell people that God's plan for you includes your screw-ups. God is not shocked by your screw-ups. And you're not going to derail his plan. He may actually use your screw-ups as part of his plan. That's what we see here in this passage, isn't it? We see Samson's screw-up. I mean, it's blatant. I mean, you can't get away from the fact that they've been told, don't intermingle, and he goes, hey, Mom, Dad, I want you to saw this girl down there at the Philistines. I want you to get her for my wife. No, we can't do that. They're a godly couple. No. Do you know what I'm saying? No. All right? So God uses that. Uses us in spite of our differences. Now, I'm not saying that so you're like, well, see, I can just do whatever I want to. God's going to still use me. No, no. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about a sovereign God who can what? Use us in spite of our mess-ups. Okay? In spite of our mess-ups. So, Here's what happens. Empowered by the Spirit. So on his way down to visit this girl, it says, he, he's attacked by a young lion. So empowered by the Spirit. So that should tell you something in a moment here. Empowered by the Spirit, Samson killed the young lion with his hands. 
And it said it, 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 he basically took the lion and ripped it in half like you would a young kid. Meaning a newborn goat. That's pretty, I mean, so it's, that was that easy for him. He gets intact and the spirit of God. Now, I think that's important for you to understand. The spirit of God enabled him to do that. Why? There was a purpose in this happening. There was a purpose in killing that lion. Okay? A purpose. So he goes down. <clears throat> he goes down to, of course, he tells them they're going to get married and whatever, blah, blah, blah. But later he returned to the carcass, which would have been a few months or whatever, and it was filled with bees. Okay, so the car so the bees took up a nest, built a honeycomb right in the carcass of the lion. He returns to that. By the way, should he do that? He's a Nazarite. No, he shouldn't do that. But he returns to the carcass, and what does he do? He eats the honey from it. And he takes back some of the honey from inside this carcass, and he gives it to his mom and dad, and they eat it. But notice what the passage says. He doesn't tell them where it's from. Now, there's two reasons I think he doesn't tell them where it's from. Number one, hey, check out this honey I got, Bruce. Where'd you get it? What would he do if I told him, well, you know, there was this deer carcass out in the back of my yard, and uh, the bees built a nest in there, and man, that honey looked really good. That's He'd be like, you know, he'd be like spitting it up. Are you kidding me? Would you do that? Number one. Number two, they know he's a Nazarite, right? They would have been upset. Mad as a hornet, right? <laughs> uh, no, the Nazarites. It would make you unclean, though, to touch a dead carcass. Yeah, you would be unclean, and you have to remove yourself, you know what I'm saying, and you couldn't participate for a period of time until the cleansing took place. Okay? All right, so... But I think there's another reason why he doesn't tell it, because he's going to use it to ensnare the Philistines. You'll see that here in the passage, okay? He's going to use it to ensnare the Philistines. So, when the young men gathered to feast, so basically, remember now, the wedding, just so you know, how long does a wedding take when somebody gets married here in our culture? You have what? The rehearsal on the Friday night, right? Then you have the wedding on the Saturday with the reception afterwards and they party on into the night, right? Is that how long it takes? Day and a half, right? Would you say that? Some it's even shorter. You just go to the justice of the peace and, you know, that's it. Okay? Now, in their culture it was a little bit different. How about seven days? Seven days of festivities and seven days until you were finally married, by the end of the seven days is when the consummation of the wedding would happen. And there would be a period of feast with them. So, for instance, the young man gathered to feast with Samson. So the implication is that he's gathering with the young men from around her, and that's Philistines. Okay? He gathers uh, around, and he poses a riddle to them concerning the lion and the honey. Okay? He poses a riddle concerning what just happened. Concerning the lion, 
the honey that comes, but then he doesn't tell them that. He poses it in such a way that they are to figure out what they're, what's going on, and he makes a wager with them. Okay? Whoever can solve this, he will give something to them. Okay? Of course, if you didn't know any of the details, just had the riddle, could you figure it out? No, it'd be like, what? Out of the, it'd just be like, I could, it just doesn't make any sense. Well, they were stumped. Okay? They were stumped. So the Philistine men asked the woman for the answer since they could not explain it. So they were like, we got to go to her and she's can, and of course, what does she do? I'm going to die if you don't tell me the answer. You know what I'm saying? You know, this, you know, you got to tell. So he tells her the answer. And she tells who? The Philistine men. Okay? Philistine men. So after the woman told them the answer, Samuel ridiculed the woman for her betrayal. Well, you could read that and you say, well, he's making an accusation against the men, right? He's saying, you've been plowing with my heifer. Okay? Well, yes, he's making an accusation that you're too familiar with my bride. But be honest with you folks, he's also insulting his woman for betraying him because he refers to her as a what? A heifer. Okay? A heifer. That, it doesn't come out in our English language, but it's very much she He's basically insulting the woman that he marries. And, and scholars believe that he then left. Before the seven days were complete. Before he, what? Consummates this marriage. All right? Why do they say that? Because as soon as he left, they gave the woman to his best friend. Now, why would they do that? Well, because in their culture, it's a little bit different. So, all right, so for instance, all right, think for a moment. Let's say we have a wedding. This happens once in a blue moon. It doesn't happen very often, but the guy doesn't show up or the girl doesn't show up. Let's say, let's say it's the guy doesn't show up, all right? The guy doesn't show up. You ever had a wedding where the guy doesn't show up or they call off the wedding or whatever? Who's embarrassed by that? Well, the bride is, but the bride's family most of all, right? In their culture, it was a shame that they could not bear, so guess what they would do? The dad of the bride, because the bride doesn't have any choice in this, he then turns around to make sure that there's no shame. He then gives her to the groom's best man or best friend, which is what they do here. Okay? So he gives away his wife to somebody else. Okay? Gives away his wife to somebody else. Now, it says then that Samson left, went to Ashkelon, which is a great distance away from where the wedding is, attacks the city, kills 30 Philistines, takes their clothes. <laughs> okay? Kills 30 Philistines, takes their clothes, okay, to pay the wager. So he takes their clothes, brings the clothes from the 30 people he killed back, and he gives it to the Philistine men that he made the wager with concerning this riddle. But they don't know where this, they just know he brought them 30 clothes. Okay, 
30 clothes. And he leaves then. All right, he leaves. And he went back to his parents before the days of the marriage were complete. Okay? Went back to his parents before the days of the marriage were complete. And in the end, Samson's betrothed wife was given to another. Okay? Given to another. All right? This is like a crazy story, isn't it? This is like a soap opera. Isn't it? It sounds like a soap opera. You know what I'm saying? Somebody tell Hollywood to read Judges. Okay? Read Judges. All right, well, later Samson returned to visit his wife. It says he returned to visit his wife and he brought a gift for her. And he found out that she had been given to another. So how do you think he's feeling now? Yeah, he's angry. All right, he's ticked off. Actually, I think it was all part of a plan because he kind of knew this was going to happen. If you know the culture, you know this is going to happen, okay? So using 300 captured foxes, remember, if you read the text, he ties their tails together, okay? Sets them on fire. Samson destroyed the Philistines' grain, vineyards, and olive groves. That's amazing, isn't it? Now, folks, what did he just do? Remember, these are agrarian people. This is not an industrialized culture. This is a... What is he doing? When he, when he destroys their grain fields, their olive groves, and their vineyards, what did he just do to them? Yeah, he took away, he destroyed their economy. Do you realize he destroyed their economy? I mean, you think about it. If you're a farmer and somebody comes and burns down your cornfield that year, you just can't grow another patch of corn, right? I mean, it was standing grain, so it, it gives you the implication it was ready for harvest. He burns it all down. Now, would you be happy about that? No, no, they're, they're upset. And they... The people, so it's, it, the implication is when you read the passage, he's burned down the Philistines, not just the village where they gave his wife away, his betrothed wife away. The he's burned down for the Philistines their vineyards, their grain fields. And so they come and destroy the village and they go looking for him, okay? They go looking for him. Now, the men of Judah captured Samson because they feared the Philistines. Now, isn't this kind of crazy? His Israelite brothers capture him because they're afraid of what? And, and he basically says to them, don't kill me. No, we're not going to kill you. They tie him up. We're going to give you to the Philistines. They'll kill you, okay? Well, he's not worried about that, right? He's not worried about that. They brought Samson to the Philistines where he freed himself. Basically, it says that he just basically broke out of the bonds. Okay? He broke out of the ropes that were tying him. And then it says it, he killed 1,000 of them with a jawbone of a donkey. That's, I mean, that, <laughs> Wow! He killed 1,000 of them with the jawbone of a donkey. That is amazing. He delivers Israel. 
After the battle, Samson prayed for water and the Lord opened a spring to refresh him. All right, let's stop again. We're going to talk about the Lord for a moment. I want you to hear me. Is Samson perfect to this point? Do we see a man who's perfect? Do we see a man who's got some issues? Do we see a man who does things right? But God's using him, right? And God also responds to him when he prays, right? That's, that's, that's what's amazing about this passage. Here, why am I pointing this out to you? You know, when you look at Samson, you can't help but see a guy who's got some serious issues, but he's included in Hebrews chapter 11, the great faith chapter, as a man of faith, in the great hall of faith. Isn't that amazing? Okay, isn't that amazing? Now, Samson, it says, judged Israel for 20 years. That's a significant point of t period of time. He ended up judging Israel for 20 years. Okay? Now, it's interesting because you think, okay, that's the end of the story, but it's not. Judges goes on and tells you about his downfall. All right? So first of all, when you go to uh, chapter um, 16, the first few verses are focused on that Samson went to Gaza to visit a harlot. You don't know what a harlot is? That's a prostitute. That's a whore. And he goes to visit her in the middle of the night, and so the Philistines surround him. Okay, and they're going to wait for him to come out in the morning, and they're going to kill him, it says. Well, he leaves around midnight. He left the harlot early and took the city gates. We're not talking about just like those swinging doors there. We're talking like heavy. It has to be heavy to protect the city from an attack. He takes the gates, gate posts and all, and carries them to Hebron, which is a fair distance away. Do you understand? He, he left the harlot area. Now, why would that be significant? He basically made that town in Gaza vulnerable. Do, do you know what I'm saying? He just made them vulnerable to attack. All right, now why is this story in there? It's not just in there to basically tell you that he's strong and he can do whatever he wants to do. It's in there to tell you that Samson has a weakness. What's his weakness, folks? Women, yes. And not necessarily the best kind of women, right? Did you understand what I'm saying? Not necessarily the best kind of women. And in this instance, his weakness is foreign women. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Foreign women. Non-Israelite women, okay? Non-Israelite women. So later, it says that Samson loved a woman called Delilah. Now, I'm going to point something out to you. Now, oftentimes when you will hear the story of Samson, or, or hear it taught, uh, or you see it in the movie, Delilah is often uh, presented as a prostitute. Okay? The problem is, is that the text does not say that she is a prostitute. The text doesn't say that he fell in love with a harlot it says that he fell in love with a woman named Delilah. Now, the reason why folks will say that she is a harlot or a prostitute, well, that seems to be his tendency. 
But that doesn't mean that she necessarily was. But what we do know is that somehow she is attached to the Philistines and she must be a Philistine then. Okay? She must be a Philistine. But he fell in love with her. So I'm just going to go through this briefly with you because we don't know to, need to go through the details. I think if you know the story, you know, he kind of plays with her when she tries to find out his secret. So the Philistine lords promised to pay her if she found out the secret to Samson's strength. And so if you read the text, it goes through a series of stuff where he's like, hey, can you tell me what your strength is? Oh, well, my strength is, is if they tie me with these certain robes, then, then I'll be weak. And of course, guess what? She ties. How many of you would let your sweetie tie you up? I mean, that's just weird. I mean, he, so she ties him up. Then she says, Samson, the Philistines are among us. Like they're hiding in the house or something, and they, and then he gets up, breaks, breaks off the ropes, and, 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 uh, I mean, it's just crazy, right? Until finally she gets him by persistence. After relentless pressure, Samson revealed the secret of his hair, and he was captured. He finally, after who knows how long, finally says, it's my hair. It's never been cut since I was born. That's the source of my strength. And then she gets him drunk. He falls asleep. She what? Shaves his head. And then guess what? Samson, wake up. The Philistines are among you. And now he has no what? Strength. Okay? No strength. So the, the Philistines put out his eyes. Okay? So they put out his eyes. They removed his eyes and put him in prison at Gaza. Put him in prison at Gaza. Now, while he's in prison at Gaza, his hair grows back. Okay, so it's a period of time. All right? You just don't grow hair back that quick. Okay? So probably there for a few months. The Philistines lords gather to make a sacrifice to their god, Dagon. All right? They want to make a sacrifice to Dagon? Because they praised Dagon for delivering Samson into their hands. Alright? So they have a feast. They brought Samson to their temple feast for entertainment and placed him by the pillars. When it says that they brought him for entertainment, they brought him to basically brutalize him there for entertainment. Now the story will tell you that he's got a young lad guiding him because remember he doesn't have any eyes. And he asked the young lad to what? Support, put him up against the main pillars. Alright? Samson prayed for the Lord to, for strength to take vengeance on the Philistines. Now it's interesting. He asked God to give him vengeance for his two eyes. For his two eyes. And the Lord gave him that strength. He pushed the Miller pillars, which collapsed the temple and killed 3,000 Philistines, men and women, in one blow. And folks, not just that. Remember, these are the lords of the Philistines who are in this temple. What did he just do? He just took out the head. Do you understand what I'm saying? He just removed the leadership of the Philistines with one blow. Killed 3,000 of them. Wow. Wow. 
His family claimed his body and he was buried in a tomb with his father. Family claimed his body, he was buried in a tomb with his father. And then it says again that he, what? Judged Israel for what? 20 years. Now what's the lesson from this? God uses imperfect people. Aren't you glad for that? 